Welcome to the I Work For Him podcast. I'm Michael Miracle, producer of the I Work For Him radio program, the voice of the faith and work movement. Our mission is to transform the workplace of every Christian into a mission field. What does that look like in your workplace? Let's find out right now. You know, more than four years ago, let me just stop that for a second before I do my intro. Get out a pen and paper. Pen and paper. Stop right now. Get pen and paper. You're going to want to write down stuff today? Pen and paper. Stop what you're doing. Pen and paper. Okay. More than four years ago, David Gibbs III came on I Work For Him and shared some remarkable information about what rights we have in the workplace and what rights we don't. In those four years, we've added a significant amount of persecution and a significant, monstrous amount of lack of tolerance for anything having a biblical worldview. So what's legal for you to say and do regarding your faith in the workplace? Do you know? What rights do you have in your workplace regarding your faith? Do you know? Can you pray? Can you read your Bible? Can you hold a Bible study? Can you even invite somebody to church? Is it different if you're a teacher at a public school or a worker at a private company? The answer is, you're going to find out. Stay tuned as we explore all these options and more with David Gibbs III from the National Center for Life and Liberty, found online at ncll.org. That's ncll.org. David Gibbs III, welcome back to I Work For Him. Jim, it's always a joy to be here with you. I love your energy, your intensity, and I love the fact that we both get to work for him. I lo- what I love the fact is that at the last minute you're here in studio instead of calling him from Texas. Well, it's fantastic. Honored to do it. Well, we have um, one of our largest offices here in the uh, Pinellas County, Tampa Bay area. And so I was in working, and I always like to do a radio live when you can because there's a, a dynamic. When you're looking, uh, you can do things on the phone, and people know this with conference calls and other things, but when you can be face-to-face and deal with the issues, it's always the best way to do it. And you're coming in to speak. I, I think when I was arranging this, you're coming in to speak for something this weekend. Do you have a something we, coming up? We do seminars, and we're going to actually, out of our office in Largo, Florida, if pastors are listening, they're welcome to join us. We're going to be doing a church legal health seminar next week, and uh, they can get information on the website at ncll.org. But what we do from 930 to 230 is we kind of walk through all the different areas where churches are finding themselves in difficulty. Uh, We know the courtrooms have invaded America. They're in our politics. They're in our businesses. And they're certainly even in our ministries. And so understanding how to do everything God's called you to do. We encourage churches to have maximum ministry. Uh, but to do it with minimal liability. And we believe there's a smart way and a less smart way to do everything. I love that. All right. And so, okay, as an attorney, and you've been an attorney a long time now, not super long, but, you know, 20-plus years already, right? It, it, 93. So oh, it, well, there it, you it's, go. It, it's coming up on 25 years. We're both getting a little older as we're doing this. <laughs> you you have all your hair. So I'm not bitter, though. Okay, so as an attorney, how did you become focused on religious liberty in our country? Well, couple of things number one i believe that god gives you a calling okay and it's it's nothing mystical it ties into your talents your purposes your opportunities uh, but i believe there is a call and i went to law school not to just get an education or to make money and there's many good lawyers that do that but the reality is i wanted to help real people with real problems and i saw the need across the nation Uh, I had the privilege of watching uh, my dad and others that were attorneys that were involved in standing up on some of these issues. And so it was sort of one of those Queen Esther type moments where I had to just make a decision. You know what? Here is the situation. Here's what's going on in my country. And I feel like it's important to stand up and speak up for him. 
And so uh, I love what I get to do as an attorney. You know, sometimes my staff accuse me of being a frustrated social worker. I want to solve the problems and help people <laughs> and uh, make a difference. But uh, I love what we get to do in standing up for rights. And a lot of times when we're representing a church or an individual in the courtroom, um, I can say quite honestly, not only are we representing them, but we're also getting to represent Jesus Christ. And you've done it all the way up to being representing these people in front of the Supreme Court of the United States of America. I've had the honor, uh, Jim, of uh, doing it at all different levels. And a lot of attorneys don't even get to court with the nature of our legal system and so much being transactional. Uh, But we pick juries. We do cases where we'll be in court with a trial judge for weeks on end. Uh, We do cases on appeal. They can go up to appellate courts. And then, as you've mentioned, our highest appeals court uh, that has a discretionary decision-making process. We've just... Uh, put some final touches on some briefs that are going to be going to the Supreme Court, asking them to take a case, kind of an interesting case out of North Carolina and Michigan, uh, dealing with uh, government prayer. Uh, can uh, officials actually pray and use the name Jesus in their prayers? And that will be moving its way up to the Supreme Court. Hopefully they will take that case for next year. Uh, but we're just honored to uh, stand and make a difference and try to be that salt and light. Uh, some days they say, well, you got to feel like David and Goliath. But I just always remember, uh, God can propel a little tiny rock and do some big damage. Well, and it's good. It's better to be David than Goliath in that case. Absolutely. You know, Goliath feels big and cocky, but uh, when God propels that rock, uh, the bigger you are, the harder you fall. Mm. And, and and we don't want our government to fall, but we do want the rights that we have to. I mean, our country is founded on the Bible. It's founded on the Christian faith. I mean, it was founded on the freedom to be able to exercise that faith. Well, Jim, you mentioned the Supreme Court, and and I joke, they're appointed for life. So when we're before the Supreme Court, sometimes it's like nursing home ministry, you know, walkers, wheelchairs, life support, you know, they're they're quite old up there. But as you look over... I have several of them listen to this show. Oh, they're they're probably now very upset. But the reality is, uh, when they look at the stone freeze over where they sit, uh, is Moses and the Ten Commandments etched right in the stone. And sometimes people are just aghast. How could a religious symbol end up in the Supreme Court? Well, we understand American law is based on the English common law. And the English common law was based on the common source, the Word of God, the Bible. And so what they were taking was biblical principles and putting it into the law. Our Constitution was written with those same principles and so one of the things that, that people often say about the legal system is, you know, is it totally broken? Not honestly, it just needs to go back to the foundation upon which it was built. If we move to a foundation where we say uh, the word of God is now once again important, principles will prevail, we can move away from all the moral insanity that we're wrestling with in our culture. Well, and a lot of people have, have a big confusion. Why don't we deal with this as we head into the break? A lot of people think, you know, when Jefferson wrote his letter about the separation of church and state, the whole idea behind the government was to keep the government out of our church, not to keep church out of our government, not to keep God out of our government, was to keep the, the government from getting involved in our church. That was what he was talking about, yet that has been misused and mis. Well, you just talk about your legal perspective. You know way better than me. Well, and Jim, you see tremendous confusion. Okay, you have a president writing a letter. Okay, I mean, I, I hope someday the Supreme Court is not looking at Donald Trump's tweets and trying to create <laughs> constitutional doctrines. Okay, I mean, I think we have to look at what it actually is. Okay, now I say this respectfully, and I, I work with Baptists all over the country, but it was a group of upset Baptists that had written a letter to the president, and they had concerns uh, that it was looking like there was going to be 
uh, too much preference given to some religions that we're getting to meet in the capitals and other buildings and different things. And what Jefferson did, and wisely so, he just said to them, relax, guys, um, there's going to be a separation of church and state. He was referring to the government, the functions. He was referring to uh, the building, the usage. Government will be here Monday. We'll be here Sunday. And it was just a line in a letter to calm a constituent. Well, it just sat dormant till the 1950s when a Supreme Court justice picks up the letter and says, hey, let's create a whole legal doctrine off of this letter. And then it was a distortion of what Jefferson actually meant. He never meant the banning of God from government. I mean, when we talk about this case, we're asking the Supreme Court to take, you know, can a county commissioner, can a school board member, can a member of Congress, can someone in the Florida legislature can they say, God help us today as we meet, in Jesus' name I pray, amen, or did that violate the Constitution? I mean, it's a ridiculous insanity that we're living in where words that the founders never intended are being distorted and twisted to come to end results that are outside what their goals were. But that's what the ridiculous insanity is what people are working in each and every day. I mean, they're, they're facing this religious increased religious persecution that, that is attacking them and saying, hey, you can't talk about that at work. And that's really why I wanted to bring you back Absolutely. on. Absolutely. And we'll talk about that in the broadcast. But let me just say, there's lots of misinformation. I appreciate your broadcast and I work for him and these stations because they're giving good information. But the media, the schools, the universities... Uh, There's just this information out there, but it's misinformation. And while the LGBTQ is out of the closet, there's clearly a push to put the Christians squarely in the closet. Yeah, there's no tolerance for that. You know, David, you sent out a newsletter that I get your newsletter and I just it just came uh, or I just yeah, it just came. And it was about a Wisconsin photographer and a blogger, Amy Lawson. Tell her story because she went on the offensive this time instead of being on the defensive right there in Madison, Wisconsin. Well, and we work with a a lot of cases, Jim, and I was not as involved directly in that particular one. But what we try to do when we are working with the uh, people that contact the ministry and at National Center for Life and Liberty, I want folks to understand they can call us and we don't they're, they're not on the clock. It's a ministry. It's a nonprofit organization. And so we believe firmly that if you give good people good information, they can make good decisions. And when we uh, get contacted by clients and they say, I didn't realize I had the rights to do that, Mm. it's exciting, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a blogger, whether it's a photographer, whether it's a government worker, whether it's a ministry employee. uh, What we find is that if good people get good information, if we give them what they know their rights are, then they can make good decisions. Now, sometimes we'll have people that say, you know what, I know I'm probably over the edge here, but I'm willing to live over the edge. But at least they know it. You know, other people were like, well, I've been pushed so far in the closet, I haven't even been able to mention God, Bible, church, Christian, anything. I've just been slammed back here. And it's empowering for them because then they're able to go, you know what, I'm going to step forward and I am now going to not just work for him, but I'm also going to speak for him. One of the things we encourage folks is as Christians grow quieter, there's voices that fill the void. Uh, we, we <laughs> say see, that again. Say that. As Christians grow quieter, there are voices that fill the void. And those voices have been screaming on that nobody's been standing in front of them for 50 years. And they're screaming anti God, anti Bible. They're screaming lies. I, I mean, uh, let, let me give you fake a fake news. 
a lie that's in our culture right now that's just the insanity. Children should decide for themselves without the input of the responsible adult. So teachers, parents, coaches, pastors, mentors, we're being stifled and we're told, just let these kids, I mean, let them decide what gender they want to be. Let them decide what they want to do. Let them decide that they want to be sexually active at age 11. It's all the kids' choices. And boy, these parents are just getting pounded. Like, just be quiet. Pastors are getting pounded. And the reality is the older generation sits by quietly we're watching the moral insanity of our day as opposed to the dads and the moms and the parents and the teachers stepping up to say, wait a minute, enough is enough. This nonsense. We, you know, and by the way, the Bible teaches the truth of the word of God says the older are supposed to pass values on to the younger. That's what mm-hmm. we're supposed to do. So with all of that, there is definitely, Jim, a lot of misinformation. That's what I love about what you do at I Work For Him. As you say to the workplaces and to the business owners and to the employees, you know, obviously you're there to do a job. We're not trying to turn uh, your for-profit business into a religious organization or a church. But here's your rights. Here's what you can do. Here's some ideas. Here's some things to think about. And, you know, you do see some companies like the the Chick-fil-A's or the Hobby Lobbies that say, you know, we do have businesses. We sell chicken sandwiches or we um, sell decorating things for your home. But we can still put our faith and what we believe into it and try to be a faith-friendly, a faith-promoting business. And by the way, the secular people do that. I mean, you see folks that promote leftist ideology. You see folks that want to be green and protect the environment. And and, and all of that's 100% legal. Well, why can't the faith-based community uh, be stepping forward and saying, you know what, it does matter what you believe. And we want to promote our spiritual side with our business as well. I love that. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take the rest of the show today and dig into, depending on what your job may be, what your rights are in the workplace, because they're different depending on whether you're working for the government, whether you're working for a private employer that's really small or a private employer that's really big or a publicly traded. There's different rules and David's going to parse this all out for us. So you're going to keep your pen and paper out there. And, and by you're... the way, Jim, not everybody has pen and paper. You know, some people have iPads and oh Apple my, Pencils. What is that? Some people have. They're going to listen to the podcast, some people, too. Some people have things like uh, phones where they take notes. I mean, some people actually type their notes. I mean, I, I don't want to. Just let you me know when you're done. Okay? Let me just get the dinosaur that's rumbling past your desk there. And, <laughs> and, and let's just jump into the text. Yeah, the technological age. I mean, the, there is some, ba- you know, okay, and then okay. some people I got actually your point. take their handwritten However notes and you scan take them the into notes. the computer. Ever, ever you want to take a note of this, I have been sufficiently scoriated here, uh, excoriated on the show. However it may be, it's been bad. All right, so I may just open up the phone lines. You can talk to David yourself. No, I'm not going to do that because we'll never get through this. Well, we don't want the conversation to get too intelligent. We'll just kind of stay right down here with our pen and paper and what we can do. <laughs> Connie Smith is in studio today, our iWork brand ambassador, and she's literally cackling on the floor right now as she's seen I have met my match. Yeah, she, she's as happy as I've seen her in a long time i mean she she finally feels like this is a good place to work she's enjoying herself i told her this show would be off the charts okay all right let's just start simple stuff business owner i own my own business what are my rights in living out my faith in my business let's talk about business owners you've got really you know kind of three things to think about number one your branding your messaging your your policies your promotion your advertisement you are absolutely unlimited in promoting your faith and the market's control. So if you say, you know, this is a business that loves Jesus, you can put that on your signs. You can put anything that you feel 
is a good testimony. Obviously, as people of faith, you want to make sure that you maintain a good testimony, but you're you're wide open. I mean, so you can be as faith-friendly as you want in your advertising, your promotions, and your imaging. With your employees, you have the right uh, to offer things to them, but the rule with your employees is just don't force it. So, for example, if you say, um, we're going to have a chaplain. I'm willing to pay this chaplain. I want him to be able to pray, counsel, help, do things. As long as it's an option, employees can, you know, if you say, well, no, you've got to pray with the chaplain or you lose your job, then you could potentially subject yourself to a lawsuit. So the thing with dealing with employees is certainly as your business grows is you just want to make sure that you realize you can certainly provide resources, help, information. You can have speakers in. You could have Jim come over to your workplace and do and a I'm session. Willing. And you're there, and that's 100%. But just don't force it where somebody would be either penalized or demoted for not attending. So you have a opportunity to provide those resources. When it comes to your customers, um, what I generally recommend to businesses, and again, there's two types. Obviously, services are different than uh, widgets you're mailing things out a lot of times you won't even know what you're mailing out the door uh, or who it's to um, again different types of businesses but as a general rule you sell to just about everybody but then services i do say to folks you know um, be careful if you're in a service related industry where you know you're going to get sucked into controversy so let's talk about it the wedding photographers the uh, chapels the uh, folks that are doing the bakery. I mean, we see some of these issues moving up to the Supreme Court. And just recognize that right now, if you deny service uh, to an individual because you believe that what they're doing is wrong, um, that you do want to be careful if you're in a public accommodation realm uh, because that has been heavily litigated across the country. Now, it is sort of interesting. There is a case that is going to the Supreme Court. It's dealing uh, right now with a, a a baker in Colorado, and it is possible that the Supreme Court could expand, we'll call it the Hobby Lobby doctrine. Um, Hobby Lobby got some uh, relief at the Supreme Court in terms of benefits that they provided to their employees. Um, so it could expand it a little bit. But right now, if you're a business owner, you're going to deny service um, because you object to what's going on. Um, you want to be careful how you state that because you could end up giving them a lawsuit when otherwise they wouldn't have one. But you're always able to say, you know, I'm unavailable, my schedule won't work. So making sure that you, um, as a business owner, um, are careful when you deny service would be one area to watch in today's world. Now, isn't it true? Now, correct me if I'm wrong, please. You know, a lot of this is all aimed towards people proclaiming faith in Christ. I mean, but that if this was, I mean, are there any cases out there where people of other faiths, other worldwide faiths that are really powerful that, you know, and those people say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to cook that for you. I'm not going to make that where those people are being taken. Or is it just Christians being being persecuted for saying, no, I'm not going to accommodate you. As I see it nationally, Jim, and I'm certain, you know, again, with Google, you can dig up and I'm sure there might be a case somewhere. But what I have found is the let's say the traditional Jewish faith or the Muslims or others that would have uh, Mennonites, Amish. I mean, you, you can see folks that have very visible religious beliefs and they may deny services. As a general rule, they're left alone. Now, why? I think there's a couple things. I think culturally, they believe their faith means more to them than the typical evangelical Christian that looks like everybody else. So there's a visual, you know, it's a little more, you know, do you really mean this? 
Um, number two, I think the Christians sometimes have articulated their reasons wrong. Um, instead of looking pro-faith and being consistent with what you believe, sometimes, like in the uh, homosexual wedding thing, it can look like you're anti-gay or anti-homosexual. And so I think the positioning is allowing the cases to track a little differently. All right, we got David Gibbs III in studio with us today as we're talking about what are your rights in the workplace? What are your rights as a business owner, as a leader? What are your rights as an employee? What are your rights as a stockholder? I don't know if we'll get to that one or not. We're running out of time already. David, when we you were talking about rights as a business owner, and now that was with regard to what they can do within their business. Right. Obviously, they have to be smart because if they get really freakish with their faith, it could alienate customers. That's not our problem. That's their problem. But when it comes to hiring people... It depends on the size of the company, what rights the business owner has as well, right? Absolutely. Um, when I say to folks that are either employees or managers, you have to kind of look at a couple of things. Number one, do you work for the government? And, and sadly, in today's world, the government is one of our biggest employers in a lot of ways, local, state, and federal. And the government is an interesting employer because the United States Constitution kicks in. Um, you and I don't- Regardless of which government- Regardless Local, of which state, government, or, okay. and by the way, more often than not, you get two constitutions. You get your state constitution and you get the federal. A lot of times they overlap, but sometimes the state constitution will even give you more rights. So if you're working in Florida or if you're looking in Georgia, you may have some additional protections. But the government cannot discriminate based on a lot of things. Uh, most commonly people talk about race, but another one is religion. So you, if you're working for a government, have lots of rights and then if you're a manager or someone you have to understand that protecting these rights is one of your more important jobs so the government realm operates on a whole different legal system uh, when you analyze the cases than the private sector now what's the private sector well i mean uh, don't jump don't jump just yet government workers so you're saying our rights are protected by the constitution so i'm a teacher a public school teacher somewhere in the United States of America. You hear a lot where teachers get in trouble for having a Bible on their desk. They get in trouble for mentioning anything about God in the, in the in their uh, classroom. What kind of rights does a teacher have? A teacher has rights not to be discriminated against or being treated unfairly as compared to any other employee. So, for example, if a Koran is allowed, a Bible is allowed. If any book is allowed. The Bible's allowed. So you can't discriminate on the nature of it. Now, here's sort of the government worker limitation. You are not, as a government employee, while you're on the clock, allowed to use the government resources to promote your religion at the expense of another. So, for example, if you go to the post office and you're, hey, I'm here to buy some stamps, the employee across the counter is obviously paid by the government to give you the stamps, take your money and to give you what you're asking for. But if that employer were to say, hey, while you're here in the post office, let me take just a minute and let me just tell you about some things that are going on at my church or what would happen if you were to die today or if they were to engage in what we'll call a spiritual conversation, that would be inappropriate. Why? That would be deemed as the government worker on the clock doing government work, using their position to promote their religion at the expense of another. That's where teachers have to be a little careful. Um, If you stand up in the classroom, and by the way, children are more protected than other adults. So my example of the stamps, you're going to have a little more latitude than you will dealing with children. And then the children are there all day long. 
So the teachers have to recognize that they are able to answer questions. They can be honest and open with the students, but they cannot use the classroom to overtly uh, promote their faith at the expense of another. But we all know good teachers um, get involved in the lives of their students. They can share personal experiences. They can talk about things. They can set role models. So good teachers can still be salt and light. I believe uh, public school teachers uh, do a phenomenal work across this country. And tough from, job, too. Tough job. And they're getting more handcuffed. I mean, I, I just had a teacher hand me an email, and here's the email from the superintendent. Here's the students in your room that have gender identified as different. So, you know, Marco is now going to be Margie, and he is going to be wearing girls' clothes. You're to use female pronouns from here forward. So now it turns to she in the middle of the email. She will be on the girls' sports team. She'll be using the girls' bathroom. She'll be, and by the way, she has not given us permission to disclose this to her parents. So if the parents come to a parent teacher meeting, be sure to use the legal name and not discuss any of her confidential decision to switch identities. Now, somebody kind of screwed up world we live in. and, And people just go, that's shocking. That's where these public school teachers are almost feeling like the, um, I say this respectfully, they're students, but the inmates are running the asylum. I mean, the reality is they're sitting there with no ability to even hardly discipline. And anything that is putting stress on the children is now deemed as, you know, inappropriate. So teachers are... You mean like grades, doing homework, stuff like that? Or telling them no. Uh-huh. I mean, the reality is, I mean, some of these schools... And and certainly not in this part of Florida is bad, but you go to certain parts of the inner cities around our nation. I mean, it's crowd control. I mean, it's it, if the kids decide they'll sit down, they'll sit down. And any thought that you're going to like actually force them to like read books and behave and not use obscene language to the teachers. I mean, so some of our public schools are just an absolute war zone disaster. But back to the legal rights, the teachers can answer questions. And then remember, teachers, you're completely protected as government workers to share your faith with other adults. Your coworkers, uh, parents may come in. You know, somebody says, man, I'm going through a messy situation. My husband just died or I'm going through a divorce or you're welcome to give them books to have conversations. So remember, your free speech, your freedom of religion does not go away because you are a government worker. The only limit is you cannot use your government position to promote your faith at the expense of others. So if, if a teacher gets asked a question during the classroom time about her faith, he or she can answer that question honestly and say, hey, you know, Jesus is the center of my faith. She's allowed he, Absolutely. He she, because they were asked the question. Absolutely. Okay. And, right. and by the way, you can also discuss historical facts. The uh, By the way, the Bible has a lot to do with history. It has a lot to do with science. It has a lot to do with math. You're certainly welcome to um, teach and to give information. I mean, teachers are to pass along truth. I mean, that's what they're trying to accomplish. So um, good teachers can find ways to get the truth of the Word of God into the classroom. Now, I have heard, now because I'm from Minnesota, and so I've heard of a lot of inner-city Minneapolis schools where they are using the platforms to actually teach Islam. I mean, you're hearing a lot in some of these schools, and the public schools are being used as a platform for teaching another religion. Have you heard that? Am I? Is it just... Fake news or is it real? Both. Okay. I think sometimes it's over-exaggerated. I'm just going to be honest. I, I want to hear some, honesty. That's what I think show's sometimes about. Pe- but then I also think there are some situations where in certain parts of the world, it is definitely over-taught. Now, if you were to say, here's the major tenets of Christianity, 
Here's the major tenets of Islam. Here's the major tenets of Judaism. I mean, that's always been world religions, history, and, and people learn those things. Okay. But if somebody is in there promoting at the expense of others the teaching of uh, Islam and they're denigrating or ignoring the teaching of Christianity, uh, that would be unconstitutional and illegal. The standards go across the board. Every government employee, regardless of their faith, and by the way, that should apply to atheists, people that don't believe there is a God, they get a different break because they try to lump under sexual orientation or even political speech. But I really believe uh, that folks that have lifestyles, whether it's uh, homosexuality or transgender or other things, uh, they should not be using the government platform to promote what they believe or how they live to their students also. I'm going to leave that one alone, but I'm thinking some things because it seems like that always gets used. All right, let's go back to the business owners because there's a lot of people listening to the show today that are working in small businesses just because Tampa Bay has got tons and, you know, tons of small businesses all over the place here. These business owners, Christian business owners, there's six or 7,000 businesses owned by Christ followers in this in this area. They want to know, what rights do I have? They really want to know, what, how does how can my faith how can I incorporate my faith into my work? And you and you covered some of that at the beginning of the show. But what are some things that they should be very, very careful about because of the tenuousness of today's uh, just adversity to Christianity? Well, let me let me give the good news before the bad news. The okay. good news is small business owners are basically protected in their hiring and firing decisions. If you have um, fifteen or more, you're deemed a large employer. So if you're under fifteen, the fourteen or less, you are protected in terms of your ability to um, hire and fire really at will. I mean, you can say, I like this guy. I don't like this guy. This guy goes to church with me. This guy doesn't. I mean, you have a lot of ability to um, put the people in your company that you believe are consistent. And then again, that's different philosophies. Some folks like to evangelize their coworkers. Some people are looking for folks that agree with them. But the reality is you have a lot of latitude as a business owner. The one area you do want to be careful in today's world is if you're in a business that's deemed a public accommodation, when you decline services, and that's where we've seen these cases popping up with the um, homosexual wedding-related issues, whether it's the photographer, the wedding chapel, the baker, the florist, those folks. If you decline services based on a faith decline, I generally recommend that business owners also add you know, some other reasonable, you know, I'm not available that day, it doesn't work for me. Um, you know, I'm taking that day off. I mean, come up with something. Don't just make it about your faith decline and you'll be more protected. Every one of us listening to this show needs to understand our rights as Christ followers out there in the work world. David, why don't you just give us a brief nutshell of, of really what we need? What, what do we need to be aware of? What are our rights? Dividing all workplaces into three in the government, you get your constitutional protections. So if you're an employee, remember, free speech, freedom of religion, right to associate, you're fully protected in a lot of areas. You have protections that the private sector doesn't enjoy. In the private sector, it divides into two categories, the large employer or the small employer. Now, the small employer, quite honestly, and I say this to employees, you need to keep your boss happy because if you're a small employer, he has a lot of latitude and certainly in right to work states like Florida. And so it's very important to um, make sure that you understand you can't really assert a lot of claims if you're working for a small employer. Now, a large employer, Title VII kicks in. That's part of the Civil Rights Act um, out of Washington. And what that says is based on some criteria, obviously race being a major one, 
but also religion, that there has to be the principle of fairness, okay, that they cannot discriminate based on faith or race or certain criteria. There has to be a fairness. So if an employer, for example, says, um, you can decorate your office any way you want, okay, great. Then you want to put up a Bible verse. You want to put up a family photo at church or you want to put up a little cross. All of a sudden they go, oh, no, 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 you can't have religious stuff. Well, all of a sudden that became unfair. Now, if the boss says no decorations, then it's fair again. So these religious cases for large employers, a lot of times are looking at policies, fairness, is everybody being treated the same? And so that is that arena. The third arena is what I'll call the ministry arena. And uh, generally, these are nonprofits. Generally, these are churches or parachurch organizations. And ministries are allowed to do things that other groups are not if, number one, it's faith-based. Okay, so if you say it's part of our faith, everybody that's going to work for us has to be a born-again, Bible-believing Christian. Okay, it's faith-based. And then, number two, it needs to be applied fairly. So ministries have a lot of rights. So sometimes somebody may say, well, I want to go work for this church, but I'm a Muslim, or I don't even believe like they believe, or I, I, well, you would say to them, well, sir, ma'am, you don't have any real rights to assert that because that's a faith-based employer, uh, and they have constitutional rights, uh, First Amendment rights, to practice their faith. And so that's kind of the three arenas you have to think about. So whenever anybody's looking at a job or looking at their situation, you start with, are you in the government? No, I'm over in the private sector. Okay. Are you in a big employer, a little employer, big or little? And then are you in a faith-based employer? And more often than not, that's going to be a nonprofit or a church. There can be secular nonprofits. There can even be secular churches that don't have any faith and they don't really ever discriminate. And so then they would be back under Title VII. But if somebody says, no, we're more conservative, we require, um, you know, we believe, I'll use an example. There's some churches that would um, only allow men to hold certain leadership positions. Um, and that is in the law illegal, but it is protected if it is, again, faith-based and applied fairly. And so those are kind of the three arenas to look at. And they're always getting pushed on, Jim. I mean, we, we get cases where, I mean, you know, uh, a lady um, – becomes uh, pregnant out of wedlock. Okay, well, um, it's illegal to fire someone for being pregnant because that would be a discrimination based on gender under Title VII. But on the other hand, if you're a faith-based employee and you say, wait a minute, our faith, we don't allow people to um, have these sexual relationships outside of marriage, and so we're going to have to act on faith. And you see where those issues end up in the court because it ends up becoming a factual dispute as to why the action was taken. So when you look at where our world is going, that was a great summary too, by the way. Thank you very much. And, and I, I love what you do, and I love the simplicity of how you apply it. I know that when it comes to the law, nothing is simple. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure your your average brief today, you know, is is inches and inches and inches high. When you look at 24 years ago when you got into this, and where you are today, how much have you witnessed the rights of Christ followers eroded? I would say there's been significant erosion. Now, obviously, I have an opinion, but um, here's what I'm finding. The biblical authority that undergirded the law and the culture is being ignored. And by the way, that's even by a lot of Christ followers. I mean, if you say to the typical Christian, when was the last time you read the Bible, or have you ever read the Bible through, or do you read the Bible every day? A lot of good people, they're, they're not bad folks, but they're just too busy. You know, I have other things I need to do. I need to 
watch my TV and do my events. And, and, we're, and we're living where we act like we don't need the truth of the word of God. And as the truth has left the church house and left the lives of the people and the voters, uh, we're beginning to watch where our politics is changing, where our culture is changing, our issues are changing. I mean, a lot of Americans, in my opinion, have transferred reliance on God uh, over to reliance on the government. You know, if you were to say to a, a typical American, you know, who's your God? They wouldn't necessarily say the government, but the reality is they pray to the government for protection. They pray to the government for safety. They pray to the government to train their kids. They pray to the government for when they get sick, health care. They pray to the government when they get old, they want retirement. And and again, I understand all the politics involved, but the, the typical American has moved away from individual responsibility, the rights that are given to me by God, and the truth of the word of God, and has moved into much more of a I'm owed, and so that culture permeates now, certainly in the workplaces, as well as um, I'm not going to accept the word of God as controlling in my life. When you look at the cases that you've seen in the last five years versus the last 15, do you get discouraged at all about how intense some of this opposition is to the Christian faith? Um. I don't know that I would say discourage. I tend to be sort of an optimistic type person because I believe, um, just candidly, I've read the back of the book and we win. Amen. Okay, so I mean, at, at some level, I mean... Did we, you read all the way through or did you just jump right to the back? Yeah, well, let me just put it this way. We don't fight for victory. We fight in victory. That's Jesus right. has already paid the price. Amen. And And you look at what the early church faced, the hostility that they faced. I mean, they were getting put in jail. They're being publicly murdered economically they were struggling i mean their families were cutting them off they were losing everything they had they were having to just buy and trade amongst themselves i mean it was a a horrible thing and and they prayed and i i like this verse it's acts chapter 4 verse 29 lord behold look at the threatenings and give us boldness and their prayer was for boldness to share the truth and so um, i like encouraging people to be bold and i just say this as you look at the world growing darker the opportunity for the light is to shine brighter well, and that's really what our, our world is missing today. It, you know, for us to be bold in our faith in, in presenting the truth, but to do it in love as well. But our world is craving truth. They're, cra- I mean, we live in a world full of hopelessness and people are going, well, what's real? Where do I put my feet on where I, it, my, where the foundation won't move? Well, and we're watching, Jim, where they're wanting to ban the Christian message from the people. I mean, we watched it get pulled out of the schools in the sixties and mm-hmm. we're reaping the carnage of that. We're now watching where they're trying to limit what we can do on the airwaves, uh, the Internet. And, and so, for example, and, and clearly groups that advocate hate or violence are wrong groups they are doing the wrong thing. But all of a sudden, somebody preaches Jesus Christ or preaches biblical values. And all of a sudden they get banned from the Internet. They get banned from Facebook. They get banned from social media. All of a sudden their church can't get a website. I mean, we're living in a world where technology is a wonderful tool. But then all of a sudden, folks that control it want to take Hollywood values, merge them with Silicon Valley values, work it into Washington values. And now all of a sudden, it's not Christians at the back of the bus. It's Christians getting kicked off the bus. Mm. So let's encourage people a little bit here at the end. As you people, they've got questions. The National Center for Life and Liberty has got answers. You've you've already gotten cases. You already know. There's, there's some answers out there. Now, there's new stuff that comes up all the time. What kind of cases should people be bringing to you at the national center for life and liberty well we are honored jim um our ministry we litigate we work in washington and we try to help folks avoid problems and 
and certainly honored to be on your broadcast. Believe in you. I work for him. Has just got such a great reputation and heritage and, and a great ministry. But uh, we are honored to help churches, pastors, folks that have questions or issues. We're honored to help employees, uh, people of faith that say, you know what, I just don't understand Christian business owners. Uh, some of them are doctors. Some of them are making things. Some of them are working in service industries. But if you just say, I just don't know where to turn. Uh, we're a nonprofit legal ministry. Um, you can reach out to us. What we'll do is we'll give you the information. Sometimes you'll like what you hear. Sometimes you may say, <laughs> boy, I'm not overjoyed. I thought maybe I could do that. But the reality is you get that information, and then we help you like attorneys. Here's your options. You know, obviously you can do this, but you're at risk. You do this over here, you'll be in the safe spot. And again, if folks have any questions, ncll.org. Our biggest office is in Largo, Florida, but we work across the nation. David Gibbs III with the National Center for Life and Liberty. Thanks for being an I work for him today, David. Really appreciate you coming to the studio, too. I'm honored to be your friend, and thanks for letting me be lighthearted as well. Oh, it's awesome. A lot of fun. Well, I'm glad you felt free to do that. It's good. All right, so check out David Gibbs III and his organization, the National Center for Life and Liberty, online at ncll.org, ncll.org. You got to do it. We got to understand what our rights are in the workplace. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower. My workplace, it's my mission field. Ultimately, I work for him. Thank you for listening to the I Work For Him podcast with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. Please visit IWorkForHim.com to learn more about connecting your faith and work, to join the I Work For Him nation, or subscribe to our weekly blog. You can also follow us on social media at I Work For Him to stay up to date and meet our guests. If today's message spoke to you, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Your review will launch more workplace missionaries across America. That's at I Work For Him and online, IWorkForHim.com. I Work the number four, him.com.